This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. So this week, here on Overdue, a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read, my name is Craig. My, my name is Andrew. <laughs> um, a year ago-ish on our show, uh, we talked about A Prayer for, Mo- for Owen Meany, Moen Meany, uh, by John Irving. Mm-hmm. And this week, you read what? The World According to Garp by John Irving. Funny how that works. We didn't even yeah, plan that. Well, it's, a whole, it's another author with the exact same name. <laughs> That's really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks, Melinda, who's one of our Patreon donors, which is why we're reading this book, um, for recommending this book to us. But I just wanted to say, Andrew, so a year ago today, what a crazy year it's been. Wow. Yeah. A lot of stuff has happened. Uh, Cubs. The Cubs. The Cubbies, cu- Cubs won the World Series. Cubs win. Cubs the win. Cubs won the pennant. Yeah. Um, um, there, was a, there was that upset in the Super Bowl uh, that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, probably other sports also had some some major happenings. Something. It's been a big year. It's been a huge year, but a year ago on our show, uh, we spent the first couple minutes. What oh, do you, you listen to this? Yeah. I have not. Okay. So we talked, uh, as we talked about John Irving, we talked about estranged dads, which is just, you know, fun times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we talked about uh, gross out books. Do you remember why we talked about gross out books, Andrew? Because was it gross? Prayer for Owen Meany was it gross? No, you had just read the book It by Stephen King. Oh yeah, it was gross. There, <laughs> there were parts that were gross. Uh, and then we also talked. You decided to open the show by telling me about a funny image you saw on the internet. Okay, which turned out to not be funny. <laughs> I think the whole podcast we should just be we should go, be revisiting our old <laughs> intros and like it, critiquing them and just like seeing what seeing what we were doing a year ago. So what was so, like was there were you going somewhere with this? Or? I wanted to know what is the funniest image that you've seen recently on the what internet. The f- funniest image I've seen recently on the internet. Just is? describe it to me. I pr- preferably it's an image I haven't seen, so I need you to tell me, kind of like the book show that we do. I oh, need no. you to tell me about the image. Let me, okay, so here's what I'm going to do because you're putting me on the spot here. I'm going to go to my Twitter. <laughs> Twitter.com slash Andrew writes. It's a great place to read about jokes and political yelling. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm just going to scroll through the things that I've faved lately. Oh, that's a good way to do it. Oh, there's a, so the Oscars happened tonight. Yeah, topical. And there's, somebody retweeted this thing from the at historical pics account into my feed. <laughs> and it's from... A spectator holding up a sign at the Academy Awards in April of 1974, and it says on it, Best Editing of a Sound Recording, Richard Nixon. (laughs) That's pretty good. Which is a pretty good joke. That's That's a pretty pretty good good joke. joke. Okay, cool. So... I just wanted to relive... Is that funnier or less funny than the image that I shared with you a year ago? It is funnier... Because mm-hmm. the image you told me about last year was that someone tweeted like a jerk on Twitter, and then it was just a picture of an actual egg. <laughs> <laughs> Which that I'm, was a good one, though. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you're laughing about it again. <laughs> but I thought that you would get a kick out of that. So we're here to talk about Mr. Irving. We're here to recount jokes about recounted jokes. Yeah. Also recount we've seen. recount books that one of us third has read. generation jokes. Yeah, third hand, fourth, fifth hand jokes. Um, so 
As you know from last year's episode on John Irving, he was born John Wallace Blunt Jr. Nice. <laughs> in 1942, <laughs> I believe. Uh, he took his stepdad's name because he never knew his biological father growing up. Uh, his first big book was World According to Garp, which won the MBA. In, that's the National Book Award in 1980 for the not, pa- not basketball. No, uh, which you pointed out, it won for the paperback edition, but the hardcore, the hardcore edition, the hardcover mm-hmm. edition <laughs> was nominated in 1979 and lost. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like a champion. We talk about, I feel like we talked about how it seems like you shouldn't get to double dip. Yes, we did. I don't want to just recreate recording. This is not Crap's Last Tape, the podcast. But, but do you just do you do like an illustrated edition? Do you just keep <laughs> submitting oh new new I, versions until you win? I shouldn't have let you just do your old jokes on our show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even tell you to do it. Mm-hmm. Um he was a champion wrestler, and there's like the anecdote about his dad coming to see him, even though he didn't know he was his dad. Um, this this book was made into a film, starring okay. um, Robin Williams in the title role, uh, along with John Lithgow and Glenn Close, who would uh, receive nominations in for actor and actress in a supporting role. Oh, uh, at the Oscars. At the Oscars. It's all coming back yep, around. Yep. yep. Um, and I believe John Irving co-wrote that script or was given co-written, co-writing credits. Um, Andrew, I wanted to ask you okay. before we like take a break and then dive into the book proper. Like, Boy, because we've been working hard so far. We really have. I've got some sweat on my brow. I know. Um, you have been like gearing up to read the like why was this book on your radar before we decided to do it for the show i remember seeing it on a bookshelf once and thinking that garp was a funny name (laughs) was a part of it (laughs) and then eventually it eventually filtered into our um our recommended like patreon reading list and then it was like it was given further mystique by the fact that I couldn't buy it on Kindle, which is where I buy like most of my books when I can help it. Yeah. And so I ended up going to some book, some used bookstore in DC a few months ago, like in October, I think, where it's just, it's just floor to ceiling, three floors of books. And it's one of those houses where the stuff in it is like warping the house and eventually, <laughs> eventually it's just not going to work anymore. But I'm like on my hands and knees looking through alphabetized fiction and I found it and I bought it and okay. I've had it. I've had it since then and I just read it. Just been carrying it around. So I don't in your know. Bag. It's not like I it wasn't like I was dying to read it. I just intended I fully intended to read it starting mm. from like junior year in college. Mm. Okay. Because I was like, What's that what's that name mean? What's a GARP? What is a GARP even? Who's a GARP? Is it Pokemon? <laughs> sure. Thank you for uh, riffing while I determine what John Irving's last book was. Um, because as we know, he is famous for stuff like Cider House Rules and Prayer for Owen Meany. Woo, Cider House Rules. Cider House Rules. <laughs> uh, he is still writing. He published Avenue of Mysteries only two years ago. Um, it's my favorite Green Day song. <laughs> I walk mm-hmm. That's the joke, yes. Um, in 2005, you wrote a book called Until I Find You, which uh, I do want to bring up because Garp is really like the beginning of his career, and Until I Find You is the one he was writing around when he reconnected with his father's family. Like He was giving interviews around the time of this book, and folks said uh, they were tracking that he had like members of the Blunt family had reached out to him um, after he had given some other interviews in the late 90s. And he said at the end of an interview with the New York Times about not having his father, uh, I really love my mother. Um, Whether or not my real father ever came to see me wrestle, my mother rarely missed a match. I must have been angry with my mother 
but I wasn't standing in her shoes in, in 1941 in a small town with a baby where everyone knew that no one else came to see it. By not speaking about his father, uh, his mother gave him a gift of the imagination. Quote, it forced me to imagine him book after book. Um, he definitely does do that in Garp. Yeah, and, and it sounds like Until I Find You, as I, I bring it up because it uh, in this New York Times interview that I'm citing from 2005, um, he started writing that book in first person. It seems to deal a bit more directly with his own experience. Um, he, on the like press tour for that book, and maybe even in writing that book, uh, he... Uh, admitted to what he's he says he was sexually abused when he was 11 by having sex with a woman like who was in her early 20s um, and then kind of created this fascination of his with women who were way too old for him Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if that factors into this book directly but it's certainly something that he he chalks up to being more close to his experience and until I find you than in his previous books or at least more overt in what he's writing about. Yeah, like it, it's it's part of the milieu just because there is so so much sex and like thinking about sex in this book. Okay. Yeah, and that's it's, certainly It's not it's not like a pivotal plot point I don't think. Okay. Okay. Um so yeah, he is like of this later 20th century tradition that is not in the modernist postmodern vein of something like uh delillo or our friend mr foster wallace um and maybe we'll talk about that a little later on i don't know but he he loves charles dickens yeah like like this does this book is it doesn't dabble in any of the like stream of consciousness like magical realism pools that i think wallace like to swim in sometimes this sure. book definitely is like telling one story from beginning to end and it's not it's not playing so much with form it okay. is very like heightened and um absurdist in in some ways but it's not um yeah it's not so avant-garde as some of that later stuff that you're talking about no and as i recall from owen meany he's not afraid of giant symbol like symbols and and important names and characters that are larger than life to make a point, but he's mm-hmm. not he's not playing around as you're saying with structure and form to make a point. Um, he he said in an interview with the Paris Review in '86, "I'm not a 20th century novelist. I'm not modern, and certainly not postmodern. I follow the form of the 19th century novel. That was the century that produced the models of the form. I'm old fashioned, a storyteller. I'm not an analyst, and I'm not an intellectual." Uh, and that that jives with uh, an essay I found titled "The Aesthetics of Accessibility: John Irving and the Middle Brow Novel After 1975." So. <laughs> <The middle brown. laughs> yeah, that's that pretty much nails it. Like it's not it's not an infinite jest that's like straining to be this this big old important old thing, but it's sure. also not a it's not a pot boiler. Sure. It's oh, not yeah. like mm-hmm. jumping into the in that Dean Koontz pool and splashing around. <laughs> that pool is real soupy and gross. I don't want any part of it. Gotta check your pH levels. <laughs> well, Andrew, I want to know what is in the John Irving pool, but first I think we gotta take a break. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Craig, you know books feed your brain. Yeah, they do. But what feeds your tummy? Nom noms and food. Mm-hmm. Both nom noms and food. Well, luckily for you and for everybody, <laughs> people at Blue Apron got the market cornered on both nom noms and food, <laughs> comma, mailed to you in a box every week category. <laughs> That's a good descriptive clause. Um, uh, how does it work? <laughs> uh, well, okay. So they're a number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Um, They want to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, and they achieve this by supporting a sustainable food system uh, where they set high standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. So here's the deal is they have partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. 
Um, so all the food, like the meat and the veggies and all the stuff you're getting has been responsibly raised and is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming, which means they don't mess up the dirt to make it bad for Regen- growing. I know that regenerative farming is like a real thing, but it sounds like space It does age. sound sort of like what you would do in the Matrix to like <laughs> make sure you always have people but Andrew, what be batteries. That's true. What for actual food am I eating, though? Is it good? It's pretty good. So they're what they're going to do is they're going to send you a box of food. It's going to have three meals in it. You can pick within some restrictions what kind of stuff you want to eat. So if you don't eat red meat, fine. Don't get it. I don't care. <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, don't get any meat at all. Um, some of the meals that they are sending, uh, cashew chicken stir fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice, uh, roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. And uh, udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. They're going to send you all the ingredients you need, no extra stuff. Um, They're going to send you recipe cards with easy-to-follow directions. And you're going to eat food for less than $10 per person per meal. That's pretty pretty good. good. It's pretty good. So what do I need to do to find out more about Blue Apron, Andrew? Uh, You need to go to blueapron.com slash overdue, uh, which is where you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free. With free shipping, uh, you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. It's going to teach you how to be a better cook. It's going to teach you how to eat some tasty food. You're going to like it a lot. It's blueapron.com slash overdue. Blue Apron, better way to cook. Andrew, I'd like to make a move. I'd like to Ooh, make my... Get him fresh. I'd like to make my next move. Anyway, here's Squarespace. It is <laughs> a award-winning website uh where you can make websites andrew isn't that a kick isn't that could god make a website (laughs) without squarespace like who made the what came first the website or the website making website (laughs) well if god wanted to make a website he could find uh beautiful award-winning designer templates at squarespace.com um, it's an all-one platform, so God wouldn't have to install any patches or upgrade his Chrome or whatever to make the pa- to make the websites. Um, I, God, yeah, God likes to. You know where God likes to store all his files? Where in the cloud? <laughs> I get it. Um, <laughs> they have award-winning twenty-four-seven uh, customer service that God could make use of if necessary. They all set him up with a free, unique domain experience. Um, and it could be used for like any type of website. God wouldn't just need to make a photo gallery. He could also make like a shop or, um, or a page about his kids, a page or... about his kids or his wedding or something or her mm-hmm. wedding. Right. God mm-hmm. could be, yeah. you know, your God, my God, God's website, um, all on Squarespace. <laughs> so, uh, you can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off your first purchase. But who who's, who am I kidding? You're God. You could just probably make a website out of your powers if you're God. <laughs> what if God was one of us and he just needed to make a website? Just go to squarespace.com and he would enter the offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off his first purchase. That's what I think he would do. Just a vlog like one of us. <laughs> Just trying to make a homepage. I don't know. <laughs> Squarespace.com yes, and offer code overdue. It's over the ad. It's over. <laughs> Get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. What if God were one of us? <laughs> So, Andrew, why don't you tell me about Garp's World, my favorite cartoon, (laughs) (laughs) my favorite Nicktoon. Howie Mandel comes back to TV. Wait, he is on TV still already, though, right? Um, In Garp's World. Okay, so I'm I'm coming in to this one a little hot, which I think sometimes can make for uh, episodes that can charitably be described as uneven. So I made... (laughs) A quickie list of topics that we can chat about amidst oh, 
don't the plot stuff. So I'm just going to give you a list of things and we can either. So, okay. We can either start with plot or you can pick like one of these things. And we've never, we've done choose your own adventure books, but we've never done regular books in a choose your own adventure format. And I'm a little nervous. You're choosing an adventure. So things, things, this things, this book is about. Okay. Um, so writers and the process of writing is in here a lot. Uh, sex, sex, and I should say up front, like we probably like we're not going to swear. We're not going to use like bad words or anything. We don't we're not going to do that. But in recounting some of the things that happens in this book, the language is probably going to get a little bit graphic and the subject matter is going to get a little bit graphic. So do proceed with caution if you listen to the kids. All right. That's been my warning. Uh, we've got feminism and gender relations. Uh, we've got treatment of transsexuals and how it relates to like gender roles and the earlier, you know, the feminist and gender relations stuff. And uh, we've got some dark comedy, a lot of dark comedy in this book. Ooh, that last category is kind of a curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to bookmark dark comedy and start with plot through the lens of writers and writing. Okay, cool. <laughs> so let's start with let's start with the beginning of the book. I think this is a little unorthodox. That's a little unconventional. I'm gonna have to. Oof, okay, you'll allow it. So this is the story of a guy named Garp. <laughs> Garp is a son of a woman named Jenny Fields. Okay, who probably like so. This book isn't really into labels. Like even when the even when the characters do get labels, the characters often do not like them. Mm, um, mm-hmm. But she is probably asexual, just in insofar as she has no real interest in or desire for sex. Okay, is that the correct? Was would that be the term you would use? Uh, I'm double checking real quick, but I believe that is correct uh yes without sexual feelings i wanted to make sure Mm -hmm. yeah i wanted to make sure that that i wasn't confusing the terms used for like sexual desire versus like gender identity and like actual reproductive organs um yes an asexual is someone who does not experience sexual attraction yeah so that's pretty much her um the book opens up with talking about jenny fields and she's like in a movie theater just trying to watch a movie some soldier tries to get fresh with her. This is happening in the early 1900s, so we're talking like World War One, World War Two. Okay. Um, and she has she's a nurse, and she has a a dented scalpel that she's taken home with her for this purpose. And he tries to feel her up, and she is like, "No," and he is like, "Hey, I'm gonna try and feel you up anyway." And so she stabs. <laughs> Whoa. And like slices his arm open to the bone and doesn't like if she wanted to kill him, she knew she would know how to kill him, but she doesn't do that. Oh, so that's that is to she doesn't get like arrested or anything. It's a self-defense thing. But that kind of introduces you to the character of Jenny Fields. Um, She eventually goes to. Oh, so she spends a little bit of time in a military hospital, and this is where she meets this guy named garp and so she is working with patients who like some of them are going to get better but a lot of people come here to die so there are people whose like bodies are giving up on them there are people whose minds are giving up on them and garp is one of the people whose minds is Mm. is going now he's he's been hit in the brain with some kind of shrapnel okay um and the only thing he can say is his own name okay his, his last name Garp, 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 Garp. Okay, in like a um, in like a Hodor like fashion. Yes, and so okay. so Jenny Fields has decided like she okay she's not interested in sex she's not interested in getting married she does think it would be a nice idea to have a kid. Okay, um, That's so a choice. Yep. So it, it happens that like Garp is in the hospital and they develop a sort of rapport. And it becomes clear that his mind is starting to go because he like he stops being able to say the G in his name, so it becomes ARP mm. and then R and then eventually it's just the ah sound. Okay. Um so one night, like he likes to play with himself. Yeah. And 
he gets these erections all the time. And so one night he gets this erection and she avails herself of it Ugh. and like knocks herself up. Okay. And this is so we talked earlier about Irving's like making up creation myths for himself or like being being um concerned with this kind of thing in his books and this is definitely a okay like a not so immaculate conception story no that yeah that's a way for someone who is you know asexual to achieve that end Mm -hmm. and uh, by taking advantage of a man who's not fully there okay Sure. Yeah, like, so that's, we're probably going to run into a few other instances where this book does it, but it's not, the point of the anecdote is not really for you to make a value judgment about, like, Mm -hmm. Jenny Fields' judgment or anything. Like, yeah, obviously, if it happened in real life, this would be, like, pretty bad. Okay. This would be a pretty bad thing. This would be a bad thing, yes. But in the book it's 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 not like a funny anecdote, but it is the sort of like heightened anecdote that well, that Irving yeah. likes to likes to deal in. And it sounds like even just the setup of Garp is in Irving's style this kind of like follow the follow the logical absurdity of this character that might mm-hmm. have existed and then sure. and then do something to them yeah okay so jenny is the daughter of a pretty well-to-do family um and so her parents like they didn't approve of her living alone and they are always like her mom was always giving her these packages that she assumed were hot water bottles or something and she she never opens them and then one night she opens and, and discovers that they're douches which were at the time um, like the best technology available for abortion. So like her family thinks that she's being very licentious and, and terrible. Okay. In, in there, like in, and acting below her station in life, I guess. Okay. And she's not doing that, but then she gets pregnant and she's not married and she has no interest in being married. And so her family is still very like, hmm, very not, like not with okay with it, they, I'm they, sure. Like, already didn't like that she was a nurse because, again, like what is a you know a well-bred girl like her doing like a common job like nursing? She should be a doctor. She should be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they help Jenny land this job as a nurse at um, Steering, which is a private school that that um, they have some connection to. They're like donors or something, and. This is where she lives and works and brings Garp up. The young, the Garp, the younger, Garp, the younger, young okay. Garp, who who she names after his father, but does not give him. She doesn't give him first name. She just she calls him T S Garp, and the T and the S don't stand for anything. Okay. Uh, so what do you want me? To, what was the lens I was supposed to be so, telling us through? This is like the the <laughs> basic. No, this is the setup. setup. This is good. No, this is helpful. So this int- you brought us to our main man Garp, um, who I believe in the little research I did on the novel becomes a writer. He does. Yes. So like, how do we get there, and what happens vis-a-vis writers and writing? Okay, so Garp grows up in steering. He's he had like a dog bites his ear off, and he has sexual experiences. And he meets um, Helen Holm, who is a the very pretty daughter of the wrestling coach. Who he, and he's a Garp is also a wrestler. Okay, and like he's he, I'm not sure what prompts him to decide that they are going to get married, but he is always very like intent on impressing her and she reads a lot so he's not like writing explicitly to woo a girl but it just happens to be it's not not a reason that works out yeah (laughs) yeah okay so he graduates from steering and he decides you know i want to go and see some stuff so i can write about it (laughs) and so i'm gonna go to vienna austria and jenny's like okay cool i'm gonna come with you because you're my son and I'm just going to live with you forever for always. <laughs> oh, that's okay. And so, and so they go, they live in Vienna. And at this point we're talking Vienna, like after world war two, but not that far after. 
Okay. And so like still things have been like, like there, there was Russian uh yeah, in, in there, I believe fifties yeah, okay. ish. Um so the there it was it'd been occupied by Russians up until pretty recently. Like a lot of just a lot of the people have died or run away and, and it's uh it's Garp likes it because it's it's a dying city in his words, but it also means it stands still enough that he can like look at it and pick it apart. Oh, that's an interesting I like that. Okay. Yeah. That's a so cool he, thing. So he's in the city like sporadically writing some stories that don't really go anywhere for a while. <laughs> and Jenny is mostly keeping to herself. Um and she like there's this anecdote where they are returning back to their apartment from dinner and they meet some prostitutes. And because Jenny, like she had been a nurse for pretty much her entire adult life and she never really dressed herself much. And because of the way that she was dressed, the prostitutes think that she's a prostitute. Oh, boy. And because she's not pretty enough to be a like a first district prostitute like they are, they are all ready to get mad at her for like overstepping her bounds. Yo, no way. And then, <laughs> and then they find out that she's his mom. And they're like, oh, man, she's his mom. <laughs> oh, no. And she gets so embarrassed that she dresses like a nurse for the rest of her life. Huh. She just dresses like a, in a white nurse's outfit for the rest of her life. Like literally the rest of her life. Yes, literally the entire rest yeah, of her life. This is a John Irving novel, yeah. She doesn't want to have to think about how to dress again, and it went so... Like, this is probably the worst... Like, I know you get anxious about like whether your clothes match or not. Mars, ma- oh, yeah. But I don't... Like, as far as I know, when I've been out with you, nobody has mistaken you for an uppity prostitute. <laughs> No. <laughs> and, I mean, and if they did, I almost would probably have to take it as a compliment. Like, if I had somehow dressed myself so well that someone thought that I was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. It, would given- have to, it would be like, it would be well, but it would also be very, like, confident and unconventional. In I ways like. that I am not. In yeah. ways that I am not on a daily basis. You'd have to be peacocking a little bit. And yeah. that's not your way. Peacocking your is way not is, my way. Your way is like, how does how does this shirt go with these pants? That's not my yeah, my way right now is like, are these socks okay? Like, do these socks work? Because mm-hmm. I'm trying do they? I'm, Are you trying to match your socks with other stuff? I'm trying not to wear boring socks. And that that just introduces the idea that socks might not match, and that's mm-hmm. a scary proposition. I usually like I don't try to explicitly match, but I do try to avoid unintentional power clashing with my yes. socks and the rest of my you, outfit. You you intentional a... power clashing is fine. But... <laughs> you rock a good, uh, like noticeable sock like if like if you're in someone's house and you take off your shoes and it's like oh those are some cool socks nice socks i'm trying to step up my sock game but i'm nervous that i'm not i don't want to be peacocking with my socks i don't want to be peacocking (laughs) peacocking sounds like something you do if you're too busy playing an mmo anyway Garp and Jenny, Garp and Jenny are in in Vienna, and he is sporadically writing these short stories and getting a little bit closer to something, but not quite getting there yet. Jenny is keeping mostly to herself, and she's just writing and writing and writing and writing and writing about her own life. Okay, just like telling, not even telling a story, just like writing things that happen to her. And she doesn't. She gets to the point where she has like hundreds of typed pages. But she still feels like she hasn't really gotten started. Like she hasn't made a thesis statement. Sure. And is the title, if if my research is right, this she is she like leading up to an autobiography? Yes. Okay, which I think gets called a sexual suspect, mm-hmm. which is a cool name for anything. That's mm-hmm. a board game that I would play. A sexual suspect. A sexual suspect. It's like the grown-up version of the dating game. <laughs> Or if instead of Clue being about murder, it was just about, like, getting down. 
All right, so here, here are some quotes from a sexual suspect that are going to tell you what kind of book she's going to be and also how she sees herself and maybe how Irving sees her and like how, I don't know, how the rest of her life is going to be defined. Okay. So um, in this dirty-minded world, she thought you're either somebody's wife or somebody's whore. If you don't fit in either category, then everyone tries to make you think there is something wrong with you. But she thought there is nothing wrong with me. Um, quote directly from the book, I wanted a job and I wanted to live alone. She wrote that made me a sexual suspect. And there's another there's another line about how she wanted a kid, but she didn't want a husband. That made her a sexual suspect. And it's it's a lot about like her how her family and the people around her like viewed her for just wanting to go and do her own thing without being defined by sex whether because she was actually being licentious or because she was, she was supposed to be finding somebody getting married and started a family like the traditional quote-unquote sure yeah thing that women were supposed to do well and this is i mean this book was written we said right to around 1979 or was published 7980 so if i recall that's around the the tail end like the closing moments of what we would consider second wave feminism so well so in, like in the in the book of... this is in the book this is being written like i said and while they're in vienna so like probably the, closer to the 50s or late early late 60s, 40s early 60s no not early 60s okay where are you getting your timeline from? Because I actually read I'm, the book. So. I'm getting it from getting it from Wikipedia when he's graduated okay. in 1961. It says, "Okay, that's fine. Just checking." Um, but yeah, in there somewhere in in the earlier part of like, not like the women's suffrage movement, but definitely the second wave. Yeah, no, that that's 60s I'm not, era stuff that followed. Yeah. I was yeah, and I'm talking about this also like Irving is writing it during that period of time. Is also sure, what I'm sure, saying. sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, okay. like well into the second wave, but still. So how does Garp like feel about, does Garp know about this? Does Garp? He doesn't, he doesn't know about it for a while. So she writes this book and she doesn't know, she doesn't want Garp to read it because she's, she hasn't really talked to him about the way he was conceived. Okay. Yeah. Um, Among other things. Like she just kind of wants to send it to a publisher and get it published. So she finds the name of this guy, uh, John Wolfe. Okay, and she sends the manuscript to him, and like he is, he finds it so not particularly well written, but still like very compelling and very interesting. And so it is published, and she instantly becomes a feminist icon. Okay, even though she does not identify with the word, and I think that that's part of a long tradition of people deciding whether they're like feminist or not and they're mostly talking about the word and not really what the so platform about... is yeah sure I I, I I think that's true and sometimes that's that's done out of like an anti-feminist stance where you don't want to be seen as some like bra burning man hater like you know whatever the negative stereotype is yeah and sometimes it's just because you'd I don't know, like don't feel strongly about it or it's not like something you try to live every day. Like maybe you're just. Some people don't like labels. Some people. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, some people uh, are a, are find like putting a label on themselves as as either limiting or um, defining themselves in a way that they're not comfortable with and i think there are both good and bad versions of those of those reasons i think that that last one you said is probably the closest to what jenny fields feels like she very much takes a takes a view that i am just trying to do what i want to do and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if that makes me a quote-unquote feminist then like i don't know i i did not pick that i she did not pick that name for herself yeah yeah um, I, I it, that's one of those things where like, but if you write that, and it gets taken up by a by a movement in a way that's really strong, like you should at least have a, it, entertain a dialogue where maybe you are that. <laughs> like, I mean, but the important part is that she does live that, though. Sure, that's true. Okay, is that she mm-hmm. like basically starts a home for women who need a 
place to stay, like not just when they're trying to get away from abusive husbands or boyfriends, but just whenever they need a place to be for a while while they find their feet. Like that's essential that and like giving speeches sometimes because she's the author of this prominent piece of feminist literature. Like that's that's the rest of her life. Okay. And so finally to get back around to Garp as a writer, like he his time in Vienna creates this short story that is actually printed in its entirety in the book. And it's it's a strange like avant garde little thing about like a bad like a family that travels around raiding hotels and stuff. Okay. Like can like when you know when you go by a restaurant and you see like an A or a B on the window based on probably mostly like the health inspection, but Oh, rating them. I thought you said raiding them like no, not Vikings. Rating, no, not raiding <laughs> restaurants. I'm not even sure how you would do that. We're here for your buns. Put We're all here. your chicken nuggets in this bag. <laughs> you hand out a big burlap sack with like a picture of a chicken on it. <laughs> Show up in my longboat to the to the restaurant. I'm gonna need you to take this bucket. I'm gonna need you to fill it with McFlurry. <laughs> Why are you why are you only raiding McDonald's restaurants? I don't know. If I change it to Frosty, would you think? <laughs> what if you filled it with your all white meat chicken nuggets here at Wendy's? Where's hey? Where's the beef? Put it in this bag. It's in this bag now. That's where the beef is. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. So all right. So Garp writes this short story, and it's like modestly well received. Whatever. It's the kind of first short story that an aspiring writer might yeah right like he also establishes a relationship with john wolf and um he gets the story published in a magazine and then he gets like a first novel published and both are well received but not they don't make him famous they don't make him a ton of money he is and he he will for the rest of his like literary life be the son of like feminist author Jenny Fields. Okay. All right. And so that's not what he, that, yeah, that is. Yeah. So that, and then you get into a second novel that has its moments, but that his, that his editor doesn't love. And that is definitely kind of viewed as a step down from his earlier stuff. Um, And then you get like a third book where he's become so, consumed with his own life and with his own personal tragedy that he's not really like imagining things anymore and so it's still good and it actually does make a lot of money because of like advertising that plays up on the tragedy of a few things in it but um but it's not like actually good from yeah like the he, writer's he, point of view he gets to this point where his his wife says and he privately agrees that like that first short story that he wrote when he was like what 19 or 20 is still the best thing that he's written and not that he's a bad writer but that he has yet to write anything as good as the first thing that he did yeah that feel that is a trope i am familiar with i will say and, and and the book and i guess i would say irving by extension is pretty disdainful of analyzing books as as biography by like it it basically says like the least interesting way to read a novel is to be looking for the quote-unquote true stuff in it sure stuff that actually comes from the the novelist's life and so if that's a thing that irving actually thinks which i think you could make a pretty good argument for i think it's also clear why the book treats his more biographical stuff as less valuable Mm, from a mm-hmm. literary perspective but so in in writing about garp living in the the shadow of his mother who never intended to be a famous author she was really just she just felt like she had this book in her about her life and she wanted to get it out and so she did um and also his arc through like his first novel which is described a couple times as good but a first novel <laughs> okay and his like short stories and his his reputation as a as a decent but minor writer like i think i think you can 
I don't know how much of it applies to Irving, but I do think you can definitely think you can imagine authors who have like exactly this career arc or exactly this reputation. Oh yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of published writers probably settle into this groove where they have their fans, but they're not like in the canon or anything. Yeah. One of the, one of the interviews I found with him again around that book until I find you was talking about him in the late sixties, having written by 1972, having written two novels that people thought were pretty good, but weren't selling anywhere. And then like, Mm -hmm. and then, Oh boy, Garp comes out and it sells 3 million copies in six months. So, right. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And not to say that he, I doubt that Irving thinks that those two books are like better than Garp, but he's certainly like most people who who break into this industry. He certainly followed a similar course. Well, and he talks about he talks about his editor like he has Garp does. Gar- Garp's editor n- knows when something is not going to sell. Oh, okay. And he is pretty like pretty infallible when it comes to to saying okay nobody's gonna buy this but he says you know nobody really knows what's gonna do great Mm, like what's gonna exceed all expectations like you can you can pick a book that'll do okay but you have a limited control over what's really gonna take off and i i feel like i've read about that when you talk about like modern middle brow literature (laughs) Um, in terms of if it's good enough craft wise and you market it correctly the right people will buy it and it will make most of what you expected it to make right and and it'll go it'll make the critical circuit and it'll get like 78% on whatever the book version of Rotten Tomatoes is and (laughs) it'll do fine but it's not gonna be you're not gonna go into the the physical Amazon store that they have for That's some a reason weird thing. Yeah. in Seattle or wherever it is and see it like front and center. I feel like we probably have listeners who are uh, living this or more accustomed to this uh, whole scenario than we are. So please like shoot us an email about it because I'm sure we, we could stand to be educated, though I, for the time being, everything we've just said is canon and real. <laughs> yeah, the book, so to, to to get back to, so now I've given you a pretty good writers and writing we've synopsis talked. of like the first half or so of the book and then yep. that's what it, and, and then the last stuff about like writers and writing is like Garp goes through periods where he is writing and periods where he is not and it really reflects what is going on in his life and like affects his moods and stuff. And then it's, it's just a big part of what like motivates him and what, what's, what's driving him at any given moment. So okay. that's, that's this book and writers and writing. We've hit a little bit of feminism and gender relations with his mom's career. Yeah. I don't, there's probably like, more to do there. There's more stuff there. There's especially, there's this group of people called the Ellen Jamesians. Okay. Um. So there, there's this uh, 11-year-old girl named Ellen James who is raped and her tongue is cut out. Okay. And there is this group of people called the Ellen Jamesians who cut their own tongues out. In solidarity. In, like, okay. in solidarity. And Garp doesn't like them because he feels like what they're doing is sort of pointless. Um. We meet the actual Ellen James and she actually becomes an adoptive daughter of Garp and Ellen, who he does marry. Okay. Um, and she doesn't like them because she feels like they not only like for some of the same reasons that Garp doesn't like them, but also that they make it impossible for her to forget the thing that happened to her. Okay. And she also, and she also says, you know, I would love, I would, I want nothing more than to talk. Sure. Like I hate this thing that happened to me, and it's I think it's ridiculous that these people have voluntarily taken away their ability to speak. So and yeah. so there's a there's a very there's a whole complicated thing going on there about that community and Garp's reaction to them and their counter reaction and and I'm not I don't want to spoil stuff. It does it is pretty important to like the plot arc, but that's yeah. just one of the threads of this kind of pulling out a little bit. There, um, if. If folks want to read more about this, all you have to do is Google John Irving feminism 
and you will find plenty of theses from folks who got graduate degrees um, and other articles, including one called Ambivalent Feminist Views in John Irving's The World According to Garp, which is just basically what you said. Yeah, I don't think you can really make any concrete assumptions about what Irving actually thinks about feminism, except to say, I think he he does generally present feminist ideas in a, in a much better, more favorable light. And, and even by talking with them and engaging with them as much as he does, I think he is, he is generally on a good, like on a good side of things with respect to like the women's movement and even the trans movement. Yeah. I want to um, make sure we talk about that briefly. Yeah. So I'll, yeah, let's run out that of time yeah. real briefly too. I, cause I want to do that. And I also want to get to the dark comedy cause there's just like, there's some good stuff. In this okay, book, great. Pretty okay. good stuff. Um, but there's this particular person named, um, the original name was Robert Muldoon and he was a, um, a tight end, I think for the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. And he is a transsexual and has like, you know, has gender reassignment surgery and everything um, and becomes Roberta Muldoon and is a sort of bodyguard to Jenny Fields and becomes a really, really close friend to Garp and to the entire family. Um, And yeah, like the book is given the time that it came out and where we still are with, with respect to like trans rights and, and like, and dead naming people and just getting people to take the concerns of that community seriously. I can't decide if Irving is just particularly progressive on this or if we have just been really bad at moving the ball forward. And I think maybe it's a little of both. Yeah. It, yes, probably. Um, Interest. I want to know a little bit more in detail, like what, like how the how the character kind of affects other characters in the book. Because uh, what I was able to to find on some of the feminism stuff is that it's pretty uh, complicated, and he is has he showcases characters that present both positive and negative. Uh, aspects of that movement at least from how you might view it and and people who might be uh hurting the movement or helping it or or whatever and as yeah. we talked about Jenny Fields and her relationship to it as a movement personally so what does how does Roberta relate to Garp like what is that about um they i mean they both have her they both have Jenny Fields in common okay um, and they, they relate to each other over that. Um, they both like to, they are both physically active and like to just play sports together and stuff. That's a, so if there, if there's one thing that's maybe negative to, I don't know, just like ambivalent that I have to say about, about Rob, Roberta Muldoon and her treatment in this is like, you, they do talk about things like in terms of traditional gender roles. So like if she wants to like sure. beat somebody up cause she's mad it's because she was once a man as opposed to just who and she if, is. And if okay. she wants to like be quiet and secretive about her relationships and not really talk about them in public, it's because that's the, like the feminine side. And it's not, it's kind of It's, it's oversimplifying things just a little bit. And I do know that like tackling, like grappling with those gender roles and how to act and how to present even is like a major like a major reality of like life as a trans person. I don't, I don't know as much as I should because it's like, it's, it's pretty far removed from my sphere of like personal experience. Sure. Yeah. Um. So I, I do apologize in advance if I'm like being bad at any of this. No, I, I think, <laughs> I think what I'm hearing is, is exactly what I feel, which is the sense of like, in particular, how how do you for how do you represent characters who are who are dealing with those shifting roles and perhaps inventing another role for themselves um while actual people are going through that and like how does someone who's not going through that even like begin to properly whatever that means um include that in a narrative um and that that is 
linked to other issues of representation that we've talked about on the show. Um, of course, it looks like yeah. you're you're pulling up a passage. To, yeah, to I do. Us. I do All have right, a passage great. here. I want. I'm going to talk about how I think the the book is ultimately respectful of her and of trans people in general. So one, she, um, so Garp's son, Duncan is in the hot. So how much do I want to spoil? I want to spoil as little as possible. So let's just say Garp has a son named Duncan. And as a young adult, he ends up in the hospital as a result of a motorcycle accident. While he is convalescing, Roberta lets another uh, trans person who has recently gone through surgery and, you know, the hormonal treatments and all that stuff, just letting her stay in his empty apartment while she like gets back on her feet. And Mm so one, um, Duncan marries her Mm -hmm. like after he gets out of the hospital and it's not treated as something that's like strange in in any way. It's just like, that's just what happens. All right. Yeah. Like he is a man and she is a woman and they get married and they are married. Cool. Um, and they don't have kids, but it's fine because Duncan didn't want them. And so in that way, it, they are they are uh, fortuitously compatible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You find some, um, yes, yeah, similar values. Yeah. And then uh, so uh, the book wraps up with this extended um, Animal House style epilogue where you just <laughs> you follow every character <laughs> it was, for a while. It was the 80s after all when yeah. you finished this book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Roberta Muldoon dies. Um, and so th- a couple of sports announcers right before an Eagles game are talking about her and, and so I'm just going to read a passage. Uh, okay. she was a fine athlete. The announcer mumbled a great pair of hands, an extraordinary person agreed. The co-announcer, the first man spoke again. Yeah. He said she did a lot for, and he struggled while Duncan waited to hear for whom for freaks, for weirdos, for sexual disasters, for his father and his mother and himself and Ellen James. She did a lot for people with complicated lives, the sports announcer said, surprising himself and Duncan Garp, but with dignity. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's. I I enjoyed those parts of this book, and sure. like again, for people who do have more like personal experience, we do totally want to hear from you, especially if we're like misrepresenting anything or representing you badly. Um. But yeah, I found that a pleasant, I found that a pleasant surprise and something I was definitely not expecting to read in this book. Yeah. Having never seen the film, which now I think I might go and watch based on, on how much I'm enjoying you having enjoyed this book. Um, I want to kind of, I did not know that this was in this story. So that's kind of, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the dark comedy before we have to go. So, like, Boy, hit me with right. as much as you can stand to hit me with. So, just so a couple of the stories I told you already, like Jenny Fields' knifing of this dude in the movie theater and the way that Garp is conceived. Uh huh. And several, like, the way that Garp gets his ear bitten off by a dog. Like, these stories are all horrible and are also all conveyed in a light sort of breezy tone that <laughs> highlights the absurdity of it all. And the yeah, the the way that they treat Owen Meany is similar in the way that they just like toss around this kid. Um yeah, Irving seems to have a knack for that, okay? Um so I'm go- I'm going to just tell you the if there's one central event that splits the front half of the book from the back half of the book. It's this is it. And so okay. if you really want to avoid spoilers, like probably don't listen to this one. So Garp and Helen are mostly happy, but they both step out on each other once or twice. And it doesn't, they have this sort of unspoken understanding where like, of course they are the most important and it's not, it's not like a marriage ending yeah, okay. When any of the stuff is discovered, but it is sometimes a sore point. Um, but Garp Garp does it more often than than Helen does. And this and this book does definitely take a dark view of men and male behavior in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um and it you know talks about it a lot of the times in the context of like of Jenny and Roberta and, and a lot of the other female characters. But Helen has stepped out on Garp now and he is found out and he's not taking it great. So in the immediate aftermath of this story uh, or of, you know, of finding out 
he goes out with Duncan and with his younger son, Walt, and they go to see a movie. And um, the guy who um, who Helen has been sleeping with has been called and like she's trying to break it off with him because, you know, this she knows that Garp is more important and that's just all she wants to do. So he drives over and he convinces her to get in the car with him. And she is she is very much saying, you know, I they're not going to be back from the movies for a while. I can do like I can give him a blowjob or whatever, like one last time. And then once he has what he needs, he will be more amenable to going. So this is what is in the process of happening. Meanwhile, Garp has gotten frustrated with the movie and is driving back home early. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And earlier in the book, it was described this practice that he does with the car and the driveway that Jenny really hates. Um, and there are actually a couple of little idiosyncratic things about Garp and like his his uh, his chores and stuff that the book has has gone into a lot of detailed describing and like this scene makes it clear why. Okay, is um. So he what he does is he like turn the their house is sort of at the bottom of a hill or an incline. And so what he'll do is he'll speed up and then he'll turn off the lights and he'll turn off the engine and he'll just like quickly coast into the driveway. Okay. And ostensibly this is so he doesn't wake up the kids when they're sleeping when he gets home late. Sure. So like this is this is very gruesome. Okay. But it's also a little funny. Yep. Because Garp does this like out of habit and he totally smashes the car that's sitting in the driveway where his wife is giving this other guy a blowjob. Oh. And and for a minute, she thinks that she's bit off her tongue because there's something in her mouth and also a lot of blood. Yo. But actually, it's three quarters of this guy's penis. Yo. Okay. And like there's a lot of other stuff. And, And while parts of this scene are very funny in a sort of like what if Seinfeld but saw way. Cut your foot off. These pretzels are making me thirsty. These pretzels are killing me. So while there is other like deeply tragic and genuinely hard to read stuff that also happens in this accident. Um. Like just the way it's described and the way all these pieces like slot together and you see it happening and like, ugh. <laughs> like yeah. you, you sense it happening before it happens and you know it's gonna happen and then it does, but it's described in in a way that makes it like still horrifying but sort of very darkly humorous. I don't know. There the, there are a few sequences like that in this book and it's. Yeah, like it, it it's going to stick with me for a while, I think. Yeah, you've got this like mischievous grin on your face right now that I I'm don't just, quite know what to do with. I don't know what to do with it either. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm impressed or horrified. Okay, sure. I don't know if I wish that I could write something like this or if I'm glad that I guess. never have. <laughs> that sounds like an appropriate response to John Irving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if I ever should have written something like this. Yeah, sure. There's some middle brow, some some middle brow stuff about okay. John Irving and his book, The World According to Garp. Great. Well, I'm glad that you read it, Andrew. I'm glad, I'm glad that- I read it too. There's stuff we didn't we didn't touch as much about the fiction within fiction. You do get a few Garp stories and letters within the within the book that is thematically important, but it's not like really important that I recount the plot of the fake books to you. So no, but those are not presented in the in kind of the modern postmodern tradition they're just like in there because they're part of the story yeah okay all right just check just kind of separating irving from his some of his other contemporaries mm-hmm. um yeah all right well that's that sounds like the book then that is the book great the world according to andrew about the, garp the, the world according to garp according to andrew <laughs> that's what yeah Glad I'm mad that we didn't say that joke an hour ago. Okay, um, we got it, in there. We got it in there. 
If you want to leave us a note about the show, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. We do have like a stack of those. We read everyone that comes in. Uh, we respond to them when we can, and we have a couple responses that are like in the queue and stuff like that. So do know that we see every email that comes in. Um, we also have social media accounts, facebook.com slash overduepod and twitter.com slash overduepod. We have an Instagram at overduepod as well. Who knows what that's about? Uh, thanks, thanks everyone uh, who has reached out. It was a pretty busy week, so here we go. Susanna, Amber, Ellie, Albie, Adam, Hannah, Lizzie, Antonia, Tessa, Morgan, Paul, Catherine, Michael, Christopher, Katie, Mike, or Micah maybe, uh, Anna, Ashley, Jessica, Katie, Kate, Natalia, Daniel, Annie, Amy, Rhea, Margaret, Emily, D- Rebecca, Joanne, Glenn, Katie, Bovin, Glenn, Dana, Dana, Melissa, Starfish, Chick, Beck, Lucas, Eric, uh, Fritz, Robbie, Taylor, Liz, Martin, Laura, Bob, Brooke, Jess, Adam, Rachel, Graham. Woo! Uh, that was a lot of folks. Most most of them in response to our Turkish Delight news, because we're talking about Narnia next week. Boy, yeah. Craig is reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I was struck by divine inspiration. And I was like, we've never eaten Turkish Delight before. What if we both ate it during the podcast? I can't even um andrew if folks want to know- have to even because we're definitely doing it <laughs> if folks wanted to go find our other john irving episodes or other things about the show where should they go they could go to overduepodcast.com where as craig said we have all of our back episodes plus links to spreaker itunes google play rss those are all feeds you can use to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out um if you subscribe on itunes do rate and review us we are pretty well over 400 ratings now which means that 500 is right around the corner so if we go mm-hmm. and give us those sweet sweet reviews it makes us feel better it helps us get closer to another round number and it helps us rise in the charts which helps people find the show um we also have links to our patreon project we have links to headgum our podcast network and spreaker our podcast host um we have a link to a new listener page where you can direct people who you are recommending the show to for the first time. We just updated that within the last week with five more episodes um, running from uh, 151 to 200. So we've got uh, Peter Pan in there, Jurassic Park, Jane Eyre, Eleanor and Park and Infinite Jest, all, all episodes that we think are pretty good starters for folks who are just getting into the show. So check that out. Uh, Is there anything else? No, that's it. I think oh, and we also it. released our we released our reading list for March, yeah. which we put up on the Facebook page, and we're going to put up on the main homepage uh, starting probably tomorrow or the day after. But cool, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.